He gets fired, dumped. Five years later, everyone's treating him good again because he went to some therapy and maybe he had to do a couple of weeks of drying out. Turns out <clears throat> you're going out to help shovel snow on New Year's Eve when the family's all in town and he's just chugging whiskey in the garage doing a bump off your dad's car hood. And we're just right back where we were with him. Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist. Here's your host, Alex McKay. Hey, welcome back to Landline, 503-894-8480. Call the Landline if you want to get in touch. The community time is now. Jeff and I recorded this podcast about the market and the significant shifts that have been happening on Saturday morning, and now it's probably Monday or three months from now when you're listening because you never have heard of this podcast and you don't understand why it exists. But either way, everything shifted already. Uh, the Fed put uh, interest rates at zero or near zero on Sunday afternoon, put $700 billion into the economy. No word yet whether that's the money that Jeff was talking about going to Boeing. We got a lot right regardless. Pay attention to the VIX. Things will shift. I don't believe what Jeff says. I don't think that things are okay, but I do think he's right about the bailout, and that's what happened on Sunday. So there you go. Coronavirus in the economy right here on Landline Podcast, 503-894-8480. Australia, call us. We're waiting to hear from you. Landline podcast. Alex, how are you? Good. Are you at a social event, co-mingling? I, I am not co-mingling right now, but there's a uh, emergency alarm potentially about to go off in my apartment. But we're, we're going to see in a second if it's my floor or someone else. So if I if I have to uh, hang up, I I will um, you know ha- have you call me like right back outside. But give me just one second. No, it's not us. All right. Is it the coronavirus emergency alarm? Yeah, I, I think I think so. I I think like somewhat. You know, right? Like I hear right. It, there is. I don't think it's on our floor. It would be in our unit. Um. Right. I I heard it like right towards the tail end when you reach the reach the precipice of corona, you kind of like wither into ashes. And I think maybe something got caught fire in one of the old fogies uh, apartments nearby. Since I live in a unit that's got lots of septo, octo, and nonagenarians in it. Wow. Well, I'll keep making those jokes now because they're not going to be funny in about ten days. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So, I. Um, woke up this morning and I was, or actually I woke up this morning in a panic and that's what I want to talk to you about. But, um, I do, I have a renewed vigor for putting landline out on the internet and giving people a sense of community and talking, you know, talking into a microphone, recording it and sharing it with people. Cause I think we're all going to be pretty thirsty for uh community and content in the next few weeks. So 
I'm going to try my best. I also read a great article in the New York Times at 5.30 a.m. while my coffee was brewing and no one was <clears throat> up in my house yet about procrastination and how basically procrastination is actually not about doing the work. It's about dealing with the emotion of, of um, sort of being upset when you actually have to sit down to do something. So I thought I'd stop procrastinating on all these podcasts and start doing them again. So that's why I'm calling you. Um, <clears throat> with that said, I woke up this morning and I read something about the debt on the bal- the global balance sheet, as it were, and how there is 340 plus times debt in the world as there is global GDP, which basically means that people have 340 years of debt for every year of production that they have. And I know we're not really crazy into the money part of this yet, but I just basically had this vision that this is going to be way worse than 2008 and how there's going to be like this downward cycle of negative consequences. And I guess I don't know how to shoehorn this into something exciting for the listeners or fun at least because I thought it would be better to have a positive attitude, but shouldn't we at least prepare for this? I don't know. Um, well, so let, let me first say, I, I, without commenting on the, the 300 to 1 ratio, because that sound, does seem a little high, um, I, I need to see how they're grouping things together. But to your point, the only reason why the market is currently correcting is related to debt. I don't care what anyone else says. This is the reason, Right. It has to do with, like, basically that and small businesses not being able to withstand a demand shock like we're currently about to see, right? But the real issue is, is all this debt, just like the mortgage-backed securities, right? The mortgage-backed securities were fine because they were priced like housing prices were never going to even trade sideways. And the minute they just took a pause, the, the math kind of fell off, and we re- had no shit moment, right? What you were seeing is corporations took on low-interest debt to fuel the you know, post-financial crisis recovery, and they cannot afford whatsoever to have a shock like this. They, they, they could, talking about the GEs of the world. You know, Bo- Boeing, a lot of people thinks in trouble. I've actually been buying a shitload of that, but that's besides the point. Macy's cannot afford this. Ford cannot afford this, right? There are, there are a number of companies that are household names, may employ some of your listeners or their, your listeners' family members or friends that will not survive this if the government does not intervene. So to your first point that this is going to be worse than 2008, I disagree purely based off of the fact that over the past decade, the Federal Reserve and the federal government have both shown that they are willing to do a stick save and slap whatever Band-Aid is needed, no matter what the dollar value is attached to it, to make sure that that does not happen. So I do not think that COVID-19 is the crisis. I think it's the, the, the last major Band-Aid we're going to slap on to temporarily cauterize the wound. 
Uh-oh. and further. Wow, a caller, I, a call, I, oh my God, it's, uh, wait, one second. <clears throat> We're coming right back, Jeff, hold on. Tim? Tim? Yo, can Landline call you back in 10 minutes once we're done with the um, financial crisis with Jeff the Thousand thousand Air? Sure. All right, we need to know what wines we're supposed to stock up on and if you're going to direct ship to people who are quarantined. So just you're damn up. right we are. Okay, all right, we'll, we'll, all we'll right. Call, you, call you in 15. <clears throat> Jeff? Jeff? Jeff, are you back? Hey. Hey. Okay. I just successfully did a um, speak uh, uh, call waiting. That was my other guess, but I'm going to call him back. So, yeah. All right. So I'm 100% with you. I There's so much there. The biggest question is then, is there is there such thing as debt? But no. The, the only the – only, and we're, let's get to that. But what I the only thing I could come up with is like you have a cousin. You have like an asshole cousin who, you know, got into pen but then – had to take a year off, and no one knows why. Turns out he like assaulted somebody in the fraternity basement. Then he like kind of he got a job at an I bank after school, and you know had a coke problem and drank too much at Christmas, and everyone knew it. And then finally, you know, he's twenty seven, and you're all at somebody's wedding, and he turns out he's been slapping his girlfriend around, and he crashes the car and gets a DUI. So he has to, you know, he gets fired dumped five years later everyone's treating him good again because he went to some therapy and maybe he had to do a couple of weeks of drying out turns out you're going out to help shovel snow on new year's eve when the family's all in town and he's just chugging whiskey in the garage doing a bump off your dad's car hood and we're just right back where we were with him he's gonna get another it's okay we'll we'll figure it out next time and, you know, five years later, he's going to end up killing two people because he runs them over in a crosswalk from driving drunk. And that's basically what's going on, right? We never actually changed anything we were doing after 2008. We just pumped it back up and then started borrowing again. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 was, that was a, a, an analogy I was not expecting. But yes, that, yes, exactly. And and it turns out it's because he's an addict and that's a disease and really he's going to have to be the one who changes his actions, not us telling him to. Like, I don't know if the analogy actually holds at the end there, but basically I, there is no I, such thing as debt. Oh. You know, but like the only people who owe their debts are people who borrowed money for student loans or who have a small business or who have a mortgage. If you're a, if you're big enough, you don't actually have to pay the money back. Right, exactly. That's, I mean, that, right. So to your point, I think the first piece is we're not addicts, right? Society's not an addict. It's, it's that human nature is to solve problems, right? And it, there, there's a great book about this that uh, Nassim Tlaib, who wrote Black Swan, he's, you know, a finance guy. He's, uh, you know, a, an academic in some ways, despite his disdain for academia, Um he made the case basically saying humans slap band-aids on things when we really need to let them, you know, uh, you know, heal wounds naturally, even though it's going to be more painful because 
you end up doing stuff like trimming the fat off of the system. You let unhealthy banks that have no business getting bailed out uh, go under, and you do a reset. And right, so it's not necessarily an, an, an addiction. It's a uh, we 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 are using debt and borrowing from future growth to live larger than we are supposed to be living today, and. We're just continuing to do more and more of that. You're seeing every single central bank, every single federal government blow whatever ammunition they possibly can right now. And most of them are not addressing the key fact that this is a public health issue and it has nothing to do with the financial market. And that's what scares me about this, because um, talking to people saying people are pretty sure this is not 2008. But what they have never seen before is interest rates literally go down to almost zero in a span of five days. And that's what has people really freaked out, saying, why, you know, why, is, why are people reacting in this way? And it was, you know, you saw this week, there was an oh shit moment after Trump spoke on Wednesday night saying, we have no fucking plan. And... That's what's scary. They're worried about pumping up the capital markets rather than actually dealing with the core issue, which is basically flattening the curve in which, you know, you get more recoveries every day than new cases. And that should be the goal. And they're not even touching that. And ultimately, the result is the worst case financial outcome. I mean, look at Italy. You know, it just just it, it's like, look, I'm not you know, you can get this better on CNBC and you can get this better on Marketplace. But the reality is no one in Italy is going outside. By the way, five minutes ago, both Italy and Spain, I'm um, excuse me, Spain and France went into a lockdown. So none of them are allowed to go spend money. Restaurants in France are closed. Bars in in France are, are the government is shutting them all down. So nobody's spending any money. So all the all the people who owe landlords money can't pay their rent. All the landlords who own banks money can't pay their mortgage. All the community and regional banks that owe bigger banks money can't pay their debt. The, the the bigger banks can't pay the government the you know whatever the like the T note was and so the Italian and the Italians whose finances weren't you know I'm not an expert but when you heard the like global financial crisis stuff it was Greece and then right after that was Italy and Spain and so it's not like the Italian you know Italy's not a huge manufacturing hub the way it was anymore like they basically are probably living on a lot of cheap debt and I know they do some manufacturing so the Italians are going to default. Who do the Italians owe money to, do you think? The Chinese or the World Bank? They, they owe it to the EU. And so, you know, and then also, by the way, all of this crazy, stupid political nationalism and Brexit and all this stuff, now everyone is just in it for themselves and we have no cohesive way of dealing with this. I mean, maybe that's a maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's a dumb comment. Who knows? But... No, it's not a dumb comment because well, I'll flip it on its head. You had talked about right debt is not debt to who is who, anyone who's large, and I think that hits it on the head, right? I mean, there's a couple of things, right? This is a baby boomer killer. That's why there's a freak out right now. Old rich people that are white are at risk, and that is 
a key issue that differed from before when any policy changes happened in the United States over the past couple of years, immigration, tax cuts, whatever it is, there were people that remained quiet and it wasn't until their lives were at risk where they finally said, shit, the, America's got a real problem. And that, 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 that I mean, I just want to, you know, I have in my own agenda to kind of push here today. And that, that's one of my key points I want to make. Um, but the second piece is, right, you're right, the hyper-nationalism is not helping the issue. And meanwhile, the only country that's been able to really effectively flatten the curve is an authoritarian state-run capitalism right. state. Right. And, right, <clears throat> they're giving a great example right now for why the system as currently is in the post-truth era is flawed and you know, making a real case for why hyper-nationalism is actually going on right now, right? Um, you know, Steve Bannon said right after the election, America wants a dictator. They want Darth Vader. They want the darkness. And I didn't understand it up until now. And that's, it was, it was, very, it was very interesting to me. Um, but I also, the last piece of my agenda I want to push also is that no matter what anyone thinks about Andrew Yang, he made a very great point saying now is the time to beta test universal basic income. You have people right now that are too sick but can't afford to not go into work. Pay them to sit on the sidelines right now, and you will see that that investment pays over tenfold with how much more quickly we deal with this. Um, I want to spread that word because I thought it was spot on. To say the least. So I know I just threw a lot of spaghetti at the wall, but uh, you, you know, you know, you always say things that are just kind of jiggling my brain as you talk. And no, no, it's uh, great. Listen, so much to this to unwrap. But you know, anyways, those those are kind of my key points and responses to some of what you said. I know I went on a little bit of a tangent as well. Well, I mean, I think that the reality that I see in front of me in the next six weeks is that I could be podcasting every day because of because people want to hear something and because. People like you are going to be at home and we're all going to want to talk to each other and communicate about this and I could do more podcasts in the next six months than I've ever done and so you don't need to make a point right now. You can just sit back and let yourself clarify it the next time and we could talk for 20 minutes you know, every Thursday if we need to um, but I, I, I think so, so just to kind of back in as I always do, I have to jam my point in the back door here. Um, uh, back in landline a little bit. Um, I have two major landline points and then I'm just going to let it go because I, I think, you know, I, I'm I, like I said to somebody else, I'm doing an omakase. I'm going to do little bites for everybody at one a day so that they can just get a little hit, something to listen to. And hopefully there'll be another one the next day. The two things are one related to China. You're absolutely right. This like crazy dictatorship is the one that was able to stem the spread by just telling everyone they couldn't go out of their house and having like their robots deliver their Chinese broccoli or whatever it was. The, or killing anyone that wanted to talk about it. Yeah, exactly. So I saw on CNN last week this crazy thing. I was up late watching CNN on Roku, very unlandline, and um, this you know tall, handsome, white you know northwestern. 31-year-old guy who was a the lead reporter in Shanghai was talking about how in the other parts of China where there wasn't a really big problem outside of Wuhan, 
the only way you were allowed to go around is take your cell phone and you had a QR code that you had to pull up and you had to scan it. They have scanners everywhere, shopping malls, grocery stores, public squares. When you go into a new zone, you have to scan your QR code so that if you get sick, they can see where you were and then they can track all the other QR codes and they can make ev all of those people have to stay in their home so they can't spread it out. So th that could be a solution for us. Is that what people want? I think I'd rather have a couple hundred thousand 85-year-olds die than that personally. And secondly, um, the, the other thing here that I'm really afraid of and this is just related to the China part, and then I want to talk about the speed and volatility of trading quickly, so don't let me forget that, is after September 11th, the problem, and it's been in plenty of documentaries and dramatized movies and you know, and in news stories, was that everyone said, we, we should be afraid of you know, brown-skinned terrorists in the country. We now, we need these secret, we need the FISA court, we need all these wiretaps, we need to be able to you know, trace everybody around. And we need to be able to listen to all of Americans' conversations. And what we've gotten is basically the government's ability to listen to us constantly, which maybe was going to happen anyway based on technology. I don't know. But that's really what sped it up in this country. And we had a huge loss of civil liberties that we've never recovered from. I am petrified that what's going to happen here is that the people in the government are going to say the only way that we can combat something like this is for – you know, nationalized facial recognition or nationalized healthcare monitoring. Everybody has to wear an Apple watch, uh, an Apple watch, or you know, a health. Everyone has to have a health report. And everyone in a huge bit of fear in six weeks, when people are actually dying in hospitals and their communities are actually full, they're going to be like, "Well, we should do this." Like the most important thing is staying alive. And we're going to mortgage our liberty again and then, you know, 10, 15 years down the road when we've kind of forgotten about how intense this feels the same way that we have now with September 11th, we're going to have basically fucked ourselves and let the central government become more and more powerful. And this is the best time to remind everybody that not only good people become in charge of the central government in this country. So... Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe again, this is just one of those things where it's going to happen anyways. And the fact that you that China can find any human being in the entire country through facial recognition at any time and that they have a social score for them and they know everything about them and they can punish them based on watching pornography is just a place we're going to be because people want to be able to get like their microgreens delivered by drone. But the reality is, I mean, what does it make you want to do? Like it makes me want to move someplace where I have some sort of canopy over my my entire farmhouse setup so that satellites can't see me and where I have machine guns with smart cams on a fortress, you know, enforced like, uh, you know, wall. And I basically tell the government I become like a, an anti-government nut. And I have one of those I can call on this podcast it's one of these days. Ouch. How many times have I told you not to give away the details around my summer house? <laughs> so, sorry, that was a really long rant. But um, what say you to that? Um, I, I think you said it in a lot more entertaining way, exactly kind of re-emphasizing re some of the points that I had made that, yeah, it's, it's a incredibly fucked up situation. And, 
this is not trending in a the right direction for the country. And uh, depending on how desperate things get, um, you know, we, we could be heading in a much more Orwellian direction than a lot of people think we already are. And to get a lot worse. And by the way, this entire flu, this entire virus, I know we shouldn't call it the flu, came from domesticated pigs in China, most likely, like they all do. I don't know. Maybe this isn't true, but that's where SARS came from. A lot of this stuff, according to Malcolm Gladwell on Bill Simmons' podcast, and who knows if he's right, um, all this stuff gets passed through birds, but that, like, pigs are the – birds give it to pigs and pigs give it to us. And the, so you don't, you don't believe the bat wing soup story? I believe that if you put millions of domesticated animals in basically slave conditions in confinement – pump them full of antibiotics and then offer the world cheap pork that there is that is god when people ask what is god god is giving us this flu for treating animals like that god or or forget about that that might be an overstatement god is god is nature being in constant balance that basically we cannot live out of balance we can't an analogy i don't know when the last time you watched avatar was right but when those guys never never saw it at the end right Wait, say it again. I fights back. Wait, wait, wait. We've been spending years polluting the world, uh, depleting fresh water, you know, everything underneath the sun. We don't have to go through the laundry list, right? Mother Nature finds a way to equalize. And, um, you know, I think kind of what what your point is, is that this is a reckoning in some ways, whether it's God or whatever it is, the, the forces at play are fighting back and saying enough is enough. And I know everybody doesn't have the ability to like go to the farmer's market and pay premiums for food and things like that, but this is not a time to like buy more plastic and ruin the earth more. Like I know that there's one there's one way to think about things like this, which is, well, this is not the time to worry about you know, using eco soap and recycling. Well, I say, I say the opposite. I say this is exactly the time. This is a time when everyone needs to slow down and have a lot more consideration for how their ultra fast, ultra technology, you know, dependent, ultra sort of crazy, egotistical, consumer based lives, what it's getting them. Because it's like, it's volatility, basically. It seems really good when you're like, waiting for your Coke dealer at the club and you're getting bottle service and you're going to like take an Uber XL home. But it seems really shitty when you realize that like you haven't been keeping your body healthy with whole foods and exercise and that you don't have the mental health to be able to like calm yourself down through yoga or meditation. And you don't understand the importance of like being outside and seeing all that is around us. That's so important to be able to like calm us down. So it's kind of crazy. And with that, the last thing, and we'll talk again, but the volatility issue. So I did, I was listening to. Can I uh, jump in on the volatility thing? Because there's something really important that I don't think anyone understands. And the only reason why I've learned to understand it is because I worked for a financial software company that specializes in volatility strategies. And what people need to keep their eye on from here on out in the markets is is the VIX, the VIX. And that is a indicator. It's called the fear gauge of the market, right? The number itself 
indicates basically what the expected move of the market, what the options market is pricing the expected move in the market on a forward uh, 30-day basis, but it's annualized. So just think of it as where does the market currently think uh, the market is going over the next year? And based off of that number, right now, you know, it peaked out at 75 this week, meaning basically that stocks were either going to go down to a quarter of their value or go up 75%. And we all know that is freaking ridiculous. This is not 1928. So that's why you saw the market have, have a huge day on Friday, just purely based off of volatility going down. But the reason why I'm bringing up the VIX is there are these new strategies that have become very popular over the last five years uh, that are purely based on the VIX. And the VIX used to be a fear gauge. What it's now become is a self-fulfilling prophecy. A risk parity strategy is very simple. If the VIX goes down, it means volati- implied volatility is going, right? The, the expected volatility in the market over the next year is going down. So money gets put into stocks when volatility goes down. When the market goes up, I'm sorry, when, when the VIX goes up, money gets pulled out of stocks and put into bonds. And what you've seen is these strategies look a hell of a lot like every other financial bubble we've seen. They involve shitloads of leverage. Now they're computer-driven. So what happened was this whole thing became very self-fulfilling. The higher and the higher the VIX went because more money was pounding the market on the short side, but also outflowing because of these strategies. Um, So I want to point attention to that because this could go away just as quickly as it started, purely based off of volatility. But you guys need to be aware that volatility strategies are on the come. This is not the the end. This is only the beginning. And you guys need to be paying attention to the VIX every time you're going to make a purchase or a sale in the market. So anyways, I just wanted to say that. so um, I'm happy to break it down in any way you want. Well, um, yeah. So get in on the end. So I think if if you had any interest in following, you followed probably three quarters of the way. But at the very end, you're saying that the keep an eye on the volatility because if the volatility is high, it means that probably actually a lot of money is about to flow out, right? Because it's not going to. No, fl- no. I, I, right. If we we were very close to the victim. Right, we're very close to the VIX, like basically hitting 100, which means stocks are going bankrupt or doubling. And we know that we just know from a statistical standpoint that is not 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 just a six sigma event. That's like a 12 sigma sigma event, right? I, I don't even know what would have to happen. We'd have to literally print money worthless or something. I, I don't even you know. It, it's kind of like the singularity, something that we're not even thinking about. And it's, it's just not going to happen. So when the VIX becomes elevated like it currently is, it, I actually take that as a very bullish sign because we're at the levels of the VIX where we were like maybe three to four months before the market bottomed during the financial crisis. So we are already at max fear, and we've had, I mean, we've had now like a 25% move down, which is big, but it's not a, you know, they're, they're, you know if anyone that was investing during 07, 08, and 09, um, 
I, I personally was still in school. I didn't, you know, I wasn't there, but they told me this, this is nothing compared <laughs> to that. And, and the market is already telling you that we're at max fear. So, so we're okay. Um, right. If, if the VIX is already at max fear, it can only go down, which mean, mo- mo- means money is going to be put in as the VIX falls. But if that's true, then how do you reconcile that with what, how we started the podcast with the debt? That, right, that is the key problem here, and the issue that right, what gives right, what I'm kind of saying is, there's going to be a bailout. The central government or the central bank, or all, I mean, all, all central banks and central governments are going to do a stick save. They're going to give Boeing ten billion dollars to weather the next year or something like that. So we're right back off to the races. Right, they're going to figure out. What is the best Band-Aid we need to slap on this? And they're going to put whatever Band-Aid they can until the market starts to react better. And once the market starts to react better, they're going to do more of whatever that is. And are, um, you, and are you okay with that? No, I'm not, I'm not okay with any of this. It's just kind of like, uh, as, as, you know, it, it is what it is at this point. I, I can only control what I can control. And I'm trying to basically go out and build a product where I can build super sophisticated investment strategies that I can provide at a cost like Vanguard and give Main Street the chance to outperform Wall Street. That is my goal, is if I can commoditize active strategies to give the lay people better ammunition to survive markets like this, that is a great impact goal for me as a finance guy. So that's where my eye is, but I'm saying this is like, this is unprecedented in a lot of ways, but it's also an over, just as much an overreaction because the government has shown you time and time again they are not going to allow anything to happen. They're not going to allow status quo to actually come in and let things play out the way that they should, like let General Electric go bankrupt. They will not allow that to happen. Well, good thing they're going to give Boeing money because we know how well they've made airplanes in the last 18 months. Exactly. Well, the problem is, though, right, if they let it go under, that's like, you know, uh, Robert Munchen or whatever his name is basically said that we're going to lose uh, half a percent of GDP just based off of that, that max fuck up. So think about what happens now with coronavirus and no one's buying new airplanes. <coughs> you know, this is this is this is our this, this is like one of the few. American manufacturing companies that actually has something that's like worthwhile long term. Well, and it's going to be really it's going to it's going to be really hard to beat a military dictatorship in the economy when the people just sit there and take it. You know, it's like the last time that there was a, you know, basically fascist centralized military power, at least the rest of the world was fighting against it. But China, like, how do you beat what you just described to me as the beginning of the end of the American economy, the way as we know it in general? So, well, but but China's no better. Nobody's any. No, everyone's fucked. It's everyone. That's the problem. And the the issue is, is when everyone's fucked, bad things happen, right? You know, you know what I'm saying. But I'm saying, like, if. I'm worried about a Franz Ferdinand moment right now, uh, right? The, the, the Saudis and the Russians fucking with one another with, with the, the oil stuff is very concerning. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, we didn't even get around to that. Like well, that, no, that I mean, it seems like old news. I was freaking out about that a week ago before I was freaking out about how much farm-to-table sausage I had in my freezer in my basement. So um, if anyone didn't didn't realize the Saudis and the Russians are having a price war with each other that's basically going to put, you know, half the natural gas companies in the United States at a at – a, at a, um, business anyways all right we got to leave it there there's so, there's always more to talk about so um after that depressing conversation i'm going to call up my friend and figure out how i can get a couple of cases of wine shipped to my house that sounds great that sounds great alex well i you know again uh, sorry to be such a downer you're not uh, you're not it's I'm, fine I'm, it's I'm hoping the next time we talk we'll have something more positive because things will have changed in the past couple of weeks. Well, things are good. I mean, it, it's snowing in Portland right now. I went sledding with my three, with my two month, two year, eight, ten month son. Three, I should just say three. So it's like life is good, right? I mean, I have delicious food. I have a full bar. I have a beautiful wife. We're both healthy. I got two healthy kids. We got, you know, I still know how to laugh. There's, you know, there's TV on demand. Things are pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm taking. I've been taking a bath and washing my body the entire time of the season, <laughs> so I can't be uh, complaining myself either. All right, that's what we have to hang up on. There's never going to be anything better than that. I'll talk to you exactly. later. Exactly. I'll talk to you later, Alex. All right. Thanks bye. For calling. Thanks for listening to Landline. Call the Landline at 503-894-8480. I don't know right from wrong. We're back again.
at the festival.